I want to talk to you a little about faith. I'm going to share a story with you, and I don't have a whole lot of time to do it, and I'm okay with that because I'm so thrilled with all the ways we've been able to worship this morning already. So what I really want to do is I just want to set us up for the next few weeks, and I want to give you something to think about this week for some of you that either feel stuck in your faith, if you're questioning, have we dismissed Kidmo, by the way? They did themselves, okay. So if you're still in here, get out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> if you've ever wanted your faith to grow, or if you're in a position now that you want your faith to grow, that's what we're going to be talking about. For some of you who have been in a position where faith was something that you were so excited about and it was growing in leaps and bounds and you just saw God at work and you were just so excited to see what God was doing in your life. You wanted more and more and more, but quite honestly, you can't remember the last time you experienced that. That's what this series is for. For those of you who struggle with faith because it is so much easier to see with your eyes than it is to believe with your heart. That's what our series is going to be about. And for those of you that believe that there's nothing significant about you, that God could do anything of any magnitude through you, that's what this series is about. So we are pursuing a crazy faith, the kind that most people will never experience, the kind that you have to believe in and go for but when you do, it is absolutely unbelievable. And we're going to be looking through the lens of a lowly farmer. Not that farmers are lowly, but there are people who have certain jobs that they're low on the totem pole. We're looking at a man who felt he had no significance, and yet we're going to find that God used him in incredible, incredible ways. His name is Elisha. Now, how many of you could right now stand up and give us the difference in who Elijah is and who Elisha is? I know when I grew up, we would go to Sunday school and I would hear about Elijah. Elijah was this big deal. And then all of a sudden they started talking about Elisha. And I felt like I needed to correct them. You know, you're saying it wrong. It's Elijah, not Elisha. But the truth is, Elisha is a huge figure in the Old Testament. Elijah was an incredible prophet who lived some thousand years before Jesus. He was ministering at a time in which Israel really had no desire to follow God as a united nation. They lived in the midst of a divided Israel, and you had some people trying to stay true to the faith, and you had another group of people that had given up and began following Baal. They began to worship a false idol, because they weren't able to see with their eyes what God was trying to do through their hearts. It got so bad that Elijah said, I'm done. I am out. I will not do this anymore. Insomuch that there were people that so hated the idea of following God that they wanted to put him as a prophet to death. So we've got a lot to cover in a very short period of time here. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the Old Testament uh, for the next few weeks. 1 Kings chapter 19. 
Starting with verse 9. We're just going to start with Elijah introducing Elisha. Elisha was a protege of Elijah. And what you're going to find about this insignificant farmer is that there is only one person in all of Scripture who performed more miracles than Jesus. And it was, guess who? Elisha. All right, let's pick up the story and see where he enters in. 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning with verse 9. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. This is Elijah, the prophet, who was burned out, wore out, ready to get out. And he comes into a cave. That was good, wasn't it? I didn't even write those notes down. I need to write that down. I was good. I, if I could just get those to rhyme a little better, it'd be all right. He lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. And the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, Some of you, that's as far as we need to go. God's instructions and God's presence is often not in the most obvious thing we see with our eyes. Even though that's really what we want to experience. God, if you could just be in this seat and we could give you the microphone and you could just tell us what you want, we'd be okay. That's not how God works. Instead, as he's listening for God. The most obvious events happening around him is not where God was speaking. Verse 13, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. The people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, Elijah, Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint be prophet in your place. Now, up to this time, Elijah was one of the most significant prophets that we read about in the Old Testament. And similar to the crowning of David, God has said, I have a person to replace you. And God gave him the instructions to go begin to pass the torch to Elisha. Now, what we're going to learn about Elisha is that Elisha was all in in everything he did. He was probably the kind of guy that his friends looked at him and thought, Elisha, really? Can you just calm down a little bit? He got excited. He got into stuff. In fact, 
What you'll read later, if you fast forward to 2 Kings, you'll read that Elisha, as Elijah is actually passing the torch to him, he says, okay, I will take this mantle, but I want a double portion of your spirit or your anointing on me if I'm going to do it. Whatever you've done, I want to do twice as much. Whatever you've experienced, I want twice as much. Whatever God asks of you, I want twice as much. And it may very well be that that faith is why he's recorded with more miracles than not only his mentor, but everyone save Jesus. This is a significant guy. God has done significant things in him. God has called him to great works. And he had great faith. For some of you who are thinking, ah, but that's not me. I want you to know that no matter where you are in life, no matter what's happening in your life, God still places those calls on people. The question is, are we going to have faith? We read in verse 9 of chapter 2, it says, When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what, what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Would you be willing to pray that prayer and ask God to do something incredible in your life? Would you believe it? Would you go for it? The truth is that when God calls you, it really doesn't matter how insignificant you are or how insignificant you feel that your role in the world is. When God calls you, that is all the significance you'll ever need. So let's look at what happens, and uh, this is the rest of the story that we want to hit today. Verse 19 of chapter 19, this is immediately following, well, there were a couple of verses I left out, but this is following what God has told Elijah to go do. It says, so he departed from there and found Elisha, the the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12. Now, before we move on, I want you to get this picture. 12 yoke of oxen that he's plowing with. Now, if you've ever seen a huge field being plowed, you'll know that Rarely do you see one plow, although if you don't see many oxen around anymore in this nation, you will see tractor after tractor after tractor staggered to make quick work of an enormous task. And that is really no different than what they did 3,000 years ago. Instead of having tractors, they had oxen, and they would stagger them. And in this case, there were 12 yoke of oxen. Two oxen for each plow, 12 sets. 24 oxen, 12 plowers, of which Elisha was the last. Now, I don't know how many of you have monotonous jobs. How many in here would say you have a monotonous job? Anybody in here would like to have a more exciting job than they have now? Can you imagine the job that Elisha had? Would you like to look at 12 rows of oxen Every day that you go to work. You don't even get to lead the pack. You don't even get to troubleshoot where does the next row need to go? Where do we need to make the turn? What do we need to do next? I mean, you just got to follow 
the 11th guy, who is just a little better than you, certainly don't get to have any level of prominence. I can't imagine that he would go hang out after work. They go, hey, it's Elisha, man, it's the 12th man out. I don't imagine a lot of people celebrated that. I also doubt that as he pushed his plow that he thought he would ever make a huge impact in the world. For some of us, that means our schedules. For some of us, that means our jobs. For some of you guys, it means going to school day in and day out. Life can get boring. It can get monotonous. And honestly, I wonder if they ever thought, if those last few guys ever wondered, how do I get to be the number one plow? Maybe I can work my way up. Maybe next week I can be number 11 and eventually get to number one. I don't know what kind of, I, I, I'm not a farmer. I don't know what went through his mind. I can know I would go absolutely crazy if I had to do that. So he was plowing, 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. He was the 12. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen. Listen to this. He took the yoke of oxen and he sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and he went after Elijah and assisted him. Or some of your versions may say, served him. So let's just tear this story apart. If God were to tell you that he wanted you to do something right now, what would be the decision-making process to go through your head? I mean, how would you process that? If God actually came to you and gave you the instruction or the word or the encouragement to do what Abram had to do, which was pick up his entire family and his business and move somewhere else or Elisha to follow Elijah because he knew exactly who Elijah was. How would you process that decision? I know when we started thinking about starting a church, we began talking about, you know, what could we do and and is God in this and all these incredible things and Deidre said, yeah, and and um, we won't be able to buy groceries, and we won't be able to buy insurance, and we won't be able to take our kids to the doctor. I was like, golly. In all honesty, we do tend to look at all the bad possible things that can happen. What was incredible to me is once Deidre said, this is what we were supposed to do, how I I saw God's hand in so many of the steps that we took. There are times that God works in ways that we just can't quite figure it out. There are times that he calls us to do things that we can't fully or completely understand what he's doing. And as we started Journey, (laughs) we were really good church planners. We knew what we were supposed to do. We knew what everybody was doing wrong. And then we started having services and realized we didn't know anything. We didn't know anything. We were clueless. 
We made so many mistakes. We went in so many random directions that ultimately we just needed to hear what God was saying to us. It can be daunting when God calls you to something. For Elisha, he took his plow, he broke it up, he built a fire, he put a pot over it, and he boiled his two oxen. In other words, if God called you to leave his job, he went up and turned in his notice and did whatever he had to do to make sure he would never get that job again. His job was gone. Now, don't go do that based on this sermon because some of you would like to do that right now. You're already drawing up your resume with a few choice words to ensure you'll never get hired back again. Don't do that. That's not what I'm telling you to do. I'm telling you that's what Elisha did. But Elisha spoke to him and told him that to leave this life forever. When God tells you to do that, then you go do that. Don't do it just because I said it because it would feel good. He took his livelihood and he made sure he had nothing he could come back to. Elisha was the last person that you would think God would call to something so incredible. We read in verse 19, it says that when Elisha departed, he found him. He was plowing and Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. One of the things that I'm thankful about when I see our kids return from centrifuge and I see our leaders investing in other people is this idea of casting your cloak around somebody. Now, some of you, that, that has no significance whatsoever, yet in this time, whenever a prophet would come by, to cast his cloak around Elisha was simply to say to him, I will lead you. I will teach you. I will mentor you. I will be there with you. Whatever my ministry is, that will be your ministry. And whatever power I have, that power will be shared with you. So to cast his cloak was not just to say, hey, come on, Elisha, you don't want to do this anymore anyway. But instead was to say, I'm going to share my life with you. What I am, you will be. Who I am, you will be. It was an incredible motion to say, I'm committing to you. And I am investing in you. And I am going to make a difference in you. Truth is, for Elisha, just as it is true for us, you may never know the moment that God wants to change everything in your life. Was he on his fifth row, tenth row, 51st row of plowing when this happened? You may never know when God speaks to you. And the truth is that God's call is meaningless until you obey fully. I believe that every person that knows Christ has a call placed upon their life. Not every person is supposed to be a pastor. Not every person is supposed to be a missionary. Not every person is supposed to have some kind of Christian business. But God has placed a call on every person that says he's going to follow them or she's going to follow them. God places a call on his people because God loves his people. And God has chosen to change the world through his people. So it may be that in a moment you're least expecting it, God's going to speak to you. But it won't mean anything if you're not ready to obey fully. The Christians are frustrated. Christians are struggling. 
Christians are asking, is God real? Can, is God still speaking? Is God dead? Christians are asking this. The rest of the world, they, they've already made that determination that God doesn't matter. But now Christians are questioning because they're not seeing God actively at work in their lives. Does this even matter anymore? And I believe that one of the reasons is because we struggle to obey fully because we struggle to have a fully engaged faith. Many of us don't obey because honestly, if God were to come encourage us to do something, we just really can't fit it in. I just can't fit another thing in. Uh, Mark, I want you to go X, Y, or Z. God, I'm busy. Can't do it. I truly believe that busyness is one of the tools that the enemy's using to keep our eyes off of Christ. We get so busy doing all these things that if God were to break in in a whisper, you would have to say, God, I'm, I'm booked up. Come back next year and we'll talk. And then we walk away thinking, God's not doing anything great in my life. He's not speaking to me. He's not doing anything. But the truth is, is we're pushing him out. Verse 20 describes this event. It says he left the oxen. He ran after Elijah. He said, let me kiss my mom and my dad and I'll come. And then he took his yoke of oxen, sacrificed them, boiled them. He gave it to the people and they ate. He obeyed in a crazy, crazy way. Elisha followed this call emphatically. I find in my own life and in, in the lives of many I talk with that often the difference in a person that hears from God and a person that doesn't hear from God is simply obedient. It's not that they pray different. It's not that they drive to work different. It's not that they eat breakfast different just that they're obedient. Whenever we put obedience off to when it's convenient, then we fail to hear from God. It doesn't mean that God's going to tell every person, hey, I want you to change the world. But are we obedient to the things that God is telling? Don't have to fully understand God's instruction to fully obey whatever He's calling you to. Some of us, we are just too busy. We are just too broke. We are too scheduled. We aren't skilled enough. We don't have enough resources. We don't know the right people. God can't do anything to you. What if that is not true? You're telling yourself that, but what if that is not true? What if the fact that you weren't raised in a church to be raised in Scripture for your entire life has no bearing on what God wants to do for you moving forward. See, there are a lot of people that are raised in church and raised in the Bible, but the Bible has never become anything more than a textbook. And so they don't ever hear from God, even though they've been exposed to God their entire lives. If that has no bearing on what God wants to do in your life. God showed up at work and invited you to follow his call. Would you, could you obey? The question I ask myself a lot. I've gotten very busy 
Any of you will say, I know, you, I know you're busy. Deidre and I have been working for a while to not be so busy because we know that when God calls, we've got to be ready to respond. As a church, one of the things we want to do is not just follow the pattern of other churches, even though we have done that at times. But instead, we want to be able to hear the call and be able to follow what he has called us to. Elisha didn't believe in a fallback plan. For him, God's plan was the only plan. And I will tell you that if right now you're bargaining with God to sweeten the deal or to make it easier, it will never happen. There is no bargaining with God when he calls. There is simply to obey or to not obey. There's no in-between. There's no God, I'll do it if, but. One of the reasons is because when God calls and he expects us to obey, he knows that is how we build our faith. Obedience builds faith. And when we obey and we see God at work, that builds our faith. So when people are upset with God because life is difficult, do you realize it may be difficult because God knows those are the times that you're most open to let your faith be built? And so if he wants you to build your faith, why not make life difficult? Yet somewhere where we mess up the American dream and the message of the gospel, we believe that in order to follow God means everything just falls into place and is easy and we have no hardship. We believe that as a nation and our churches are in decline because of it, because they're failing to see God at work, because God never said, I want it to be as easy as possible. Instead, I want you to trust me and have faith in me. Elisha didn't believe in a fallback plan. Why should we? If we're going to trust him, we should trust him. For some of you who are you are really cerebral thinkers. I mean, you, uh, you've already got a list made out of why this could work, couldn't work, or what if, or this is what, how does theology of this fit into that, and, and all of these things. What, what I have found is that for me, God rarely gives me the whole plan at a time. Anybody else? Never had God sit down and said, here's my prospectus for what I would like to do in your life. Take a glance, and, uh, and then we'll talk, and... You know, you can see the beginning to the end, everything I want to do. I've never had that happen. Scripture never does that for anybody. I just want you to see this thing. For Abram, he said, I want you to get all your stuff up and go, and I'm going to bless you, and you're going to fill the earth. I'm not going to tell you how that's going to work. I just want you to get up and go right now. God rarely gives you more than a call, even if you need the details. Need is a very overused word in our language. We need stuff. I need a Starbucks. No, you don't need a Starbucks. You really don't. I need to have some free time for myself. Maybe. Part of that is margin you need in your life, but you really don't need more free time for yourself. Probably. You might need free time for other things. We use need... In a very wanting way. Even if we need the details, God rarely gives you more than the call. I wrote this down, but I hesitate to say it because it's somewhat cliche, but it is still true. Partial obedience is disobedience. 
Now, how does this work out practically in our lives? Because I know that what ends up happening on these kinds of sermons is they're kind of the idealistic, if everything works out just right. So, so here's one, some ways that maybe God could speak to you. If you're at work and you have to sacrifice your principles to maintain your job, if God gives you the word to move, you just need to move. You don't need the details. You just need to move. If you're in a disobedient relationship, in other words, purity is not a part of a relationship that you're involved in. And God says you need to get out. You just need to get out. He may not tell you about the job that's waiting for you once you get out. He may not tell you about the person you get to be with if you'll get out of this unhealthy relationship. He just says, move, just go. You're managing your finances without any generosity whatsoever, and you are drowning even though you make more than the average person in the nation. Perhaps God's word is be generous. He may not tell you where or what's going to happen. If I know I give a $500 check and God promises he'll give me a $2,000 check back, which is how a lot of people, quite honestly, manage generosity with God. God, I'll give you my 20, but where's my 50? How many people manage generosity? God may just be simply saying, give. Give. See somebody in need, just, just give. You may not know how that's going to impact. Just give. God rewards obedience. If you're sacrificing God's principles for the sake of popularity, whether it be at work or at school, neighborhood, on sports team, you sacrifice his principles for the sake of popularity, God may say, stop hanging out with us. Stop pursuing them. I'll tell you, students, that have had an incredible experience at Centrifuge. The decisions you make today will determine what tomorrow looks like. People you invest in today, that will determine what your life looks like. People you throw in, those are your best friends today, that's what you will become tomorrow. You need to be very careful of the relationships that you build. And our relationships within the church We've got to be more concerned with sexual purity in our lives than we are about sexual purity in someone else's life. We need to share truth to a world that's in decay, but if we don't have our own house put together, that's where we start. We take care of our house first before we ever can help somebody else. And the reason we do that, quite honestly... Is because once you've done it in your own house, you have a great amount of compassion for people's house that is also in disorder. Because you know what it took to get your house together. And so you're able to help someone else with great compassion and grace as well. You know how difficult it can be. Put that together. We're more concerned with leading our own families, pointing out the failure in other families. Even though we seem to be so good at that. God will build your faith one small step of obedience at a time. What is God leading you to be obedient in right now? What if what you're really hoping to hear from God is just a couple of steps away of obedience? He's waiting to see if that's what you're going to do. This is what I want to leave you with. 
we start talking about obedience, there's a great fear that what I'm next going to do is tell you what, how I want you to be obedient to me. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do as a church, and I want you to do whatever I say. Some of you came up in that kind of a system, and it won't take long to be in this system to realize we don't know what we're talking about anyway, so we don't really have those expectations on you. I think we do have an idea of what we're talking about. Obedience is not about obedience to me. It's not about obedience to somebody you're sitting next to. We're talking about obedience to God. God has given us certain instructions within Scripture that there's really no reason for us to debate or or have a panel to discuss or for us to bargain with God and say, okay, I can see how that would be bad for some and not so bad for me. There are some things in Scripture that obedience to God's principles, His practices, His teachings, it really doesn't require a sermon. It doesn't require a commentary. It just requires us being obedient to that. But obedience is a movement of the heart. It is not just a decision of the will. If you make obedience simply about a decision of the will, you will begin to resent the one whom you are to be obedient to. If it is simply a decision of the will, you will resent it. Yet, when we love God and we believe and we trust God and we have faith in God, it becomes a movement of the heart. We want to obey. see all throughout Scripture that God sees the heart. He gives so much grace to the mistakes that we make. I look through my life. He has given so much grace to the mistakes that I've made. I look at sometimes our church. He's given us so much grace when we launch headlong into something and we find out, ah, maybe that was more what we thought we needed than what God really wanted. God sees your heart. and He gives grace for your mistakes. Obedience is a movement of the heart. So I would leave you with two simple things to be thinking about, and we'll expand this next week. When God calls, obey. I don't know what that's going to be for you. I don't, I don't want you to go and memorize the New Testament and then sit there and, and hyper-analyze every single thing you do based on everything you've just tried to memorize because that will always fall apart. But as you pray... As you pursue, as you read Scripture, when God calls, obey. It may be super tiny what He asks you to do. But obey because that opens up future opportunities for God to speak to you. I'm going to leave you with a question. What would happen if everyone in our church was absolutely full of faith? I know that sometimes in life it's hard to have faith when life is really going wrong. And it would be a mistake to assume that all of us are going to always be super spiritual in everything that we do. What would happen if we all had a growing faith? What difference would it make in the city? What difference would it make in our families' lives? What difference would it make in our workplaces? How many people would we reach outside these walls? What would happen our church, full of faith. Many of you, you challenge my faith. Challenge me to be more, to trust more. And, and the CEO model of church, the pastor is supposed to always be the best at everything. And I think we've demonstrated that's not the case. Some of you, your faith, it just astounds me, astonishing me. 
if we all were to grow and to build? If we all were to do that? Some of you, if you want to build your faith, you may need to just give up your fallback plan. You may need to burn your plow and boil your oxen, but please don't do it at, at one of our services. You may need to give up your backup plan. God's just saying, are you serious about this? You're going for this. And I will tell you that when God calls, there's no backup plan that can compare to what he's calling. All right? I'm going to stop. I'm out of time. Way out of time. And uh, I hope you'll be back next week. I I really need to come back next week uh, because uh, what we're going to be talking about next week is going to impact everyone who calls Journey Home. So I hope that you will be here for that. I hope that this week you will begin to look for opportunities to obey. And even if it's in small ways, simply obey what God is telling you. Pray with me. Father, God, I pray that you would not only be at work in us, but around us. I pray that we would have ears that could hear the whisper when our eyes are looking for the earthquake or we're looking for the strong wind. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work within our families and within the lives of people here that we can hear your word and we can act on it. And by doing that, we can help this world to be a better place. God, I thank you that there's no insignificant person in the kingdom of God. There's no person who's disqualified for you doing immaculate, incredible, wonderful things through because you have called us all to trust you, to have faith in you. Pray for those that are here today and they have been beat up time and time again. People telling them they're no good, they have nothing to offer. And yet all they need is a word from you. You make us significant. God, I pray for those that they had that word, but it is so hard to obey. Father, give them the strength to obey today. Ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.